Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 196 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Victor Rodriguez. And today we'll be discussing the possible upcoming legal battle between Eddie Hearn and Jake Paul, PFL's edition of Shane Burgos versus Marlon Moraes to their 2022 finals, Bo Nichols' sensational victory, Dylan Dennis's future with Bellator, and we'll be previewing select fights from UFC Vegas 62 and the main event, for Bellator 286. Now, Victor, we have this crazy news with Mark Zuckerberg this week, and I think that he just might be trying to compete with Elon Musk and maybe Jeff Bezos for, like, the the weirdest wannabe. Well, there is something about overcompensating rich people that have no idea what to do with their power, and then it just, you know, they just do ridiculous stunts that don't benefit anyone. But um, I can at least say that if if he really had been the if the the, the rumor had been in fact true that he was um, buying out the event to be at the apex or whatever and and have the place empty that would kind of be probably the the least harmful of most of these stunts. That's kind of like well you know what I'm buying all the tickets to this Jimmy Buffett concert because I need my Margaritaville to be absorbed. You know I need it in my pores. I can't have any of the pores around me. That that's not that bad. I can deal with that. Oh, well, all right. I guess if you put it that way, we should I gotta all, I gotta be somewhat positive somehow. We should all find a little bit of a kernel of positivity in there the way that you have, because I'll tell you what, Victor can look at something and break it down to its atoms and sometimes it ain't pretty. So for him to find a little ray of light here, that's that's something. So we should all embrace it. When we talk about Guys coming back, they always come back after they retire. I don't know if I'm so upset at this particular one. So PFL managed to get Shane Burgos coming off of a couple of wins in the UFC. Dana White even came out and said, we dropped the ball in negotiations for him signing a new contract. And as a result, the PFL got him. And then we find out that Marlon Moraes, who retired back in April, so less than six months later, we find that he's come out of retirement and surprise, surprise, he's also signed with the PFL. Shane Burgos is a featherweight. So what is happening here? Well, Marlon Moraes is moving up to featherweight. So I always think of Victor, whenever we talk about guys coming out of retirement, there's always this one little caveat that we sometimes make, and Victor is real good about this, in pointing out that this might be a good thing, is if they move up in weight, and if they still have some mileage. Now, Shane Burgos is 31, he's 15-3, and now it can be argued that that last fight with Charles Jourdain, he did not win that. I don't think he won it. Lots of people don't think he won it. But anyways, it's a win on his record. So we're going to go with that. Now he's going to be taking on Marlon Maurice, who's just 34. His record though, 23, 10, and 1. Now he's been winless since 2019 when he defeated, and I'm going to use that in air quotes, Jose Aldo. But that was a very disputed split decision, and anyone with eyes pretty much knows that Jose Aldo won that fight. But again, Marlon Moraes has the win in his column, so we have to just put that aside. And look at this, in my opinion, for the positive that it is. It gives Marlon Moraes a chance, an opportunity to make a couple more paychecks and maybe find a little more success in the place where he basically started because we all know the PFL is just World Series of Fighting rebranded. 
So it's neat to see him go home and maybe there with the competition not so fierce and with the move up, we might see a rejuvenated Marlon Moraes. And I think Shane Burgos is going to just be fine there because I feel like he has plenty of gas in the tank still. But I will say this. I was looking back at Shane Burgos's record and he has been fighting. He has quite an extensive amateur record that dates all the way back to 2009 and Marlon Moraes has been fighting since 2007 so the the difference in their records while Shane Burgess's pro record is 15 and 3 had a pretty deep amateur record so I feel like the experience and the mileage might be very similar here Victor what do you think you know what man good for them I am a fan of people getting out there and chasing that paper unless we have certain circumstances. And we've been down this road before, right? We look at guys like Bigfoot Silva, guys that should know that they have no business fighting. They should not be out there risking more uh, of their of their health than people who've just been taking so many punishing losses. This is not that kind of case. Marlon's had some pretty, you know, yeah, he did get knocked out one time here or there. He got, you know, he's, he's he hasn't looked like the guy that maybe a lot of us expected when he came over from World Series of Fighting. But that's okay. I mean, he was still good enough to be a guy who would hang with the top dudes and put up a hell of a fight. So I don't really see there being any problem with him deciding to stick around for another bit. I think it's actually better to see that he, if he was going to cancel his retirement – that he would at least move up and wait, whether or not that is to his advantage, whether that's stylistically um, beneficial to him because of the, the the size differential and how that's going to all translate to a new division. Oh, that's, that remains to be seen, but he's still competitive. He's still relatively young. He's not in, in the kind of thing where like, okay, that dude has nothing more to offer in terms of a challenge. That's not the situation here. And Shane Burgos, you can argue his stock is higher than ever, even with a controversial win. I, I, you know, he's he's got the visibility from having some barn burner fights and people know that wherever he goes, it's going to probably be action. And that is for a very good reason. So why not? Why not have him go in there? They're under the same management. That's another matter I'm not really going to delve into too much right now because, you know, we all know how that moves. But if PFL can use that to their advantage and they're not competing with the UFC. They're just there to put on some good fights and bilk all their, uh, you know, their, their, their partners here and, and into getting them to invest in their product. And at least in this situation, the product is selling to a degree, but the money is going to the fighters. We're seeing evidence of that in all these, uh, all of these cases, especially in the championships. So uh, if these guys want to go out there and they're going to have a showcase fight for their pay-per-view, which will be their last event of the year, good. It bolsters their pay-per-view card. It adds more of uh, more of more flair to their roster. It serves as a great advertisement of what you can expect for the in anticipation of next year and it also gives these two guys an opportunity to fight for the million in their tournament. What is there that could be a, a major downside at least big enough to offset any of that? I don't really know. It seems okay to me. This is is it a perfect win-win on a one-to-one basis and everything? Probably not, but it's still pretty damn good to me. Yeah, it really is and I just wanted to point out that he's leaving a really really tough lion's den and going over to a place that might be a little easier for him to navigate and possibly set his eyes on getting that million dollar prize. You never know. I just yeah. think this could be the Phoenix rising from the ashes moment, possibly. That's, that's about as good as I can put it, really. That's, um, that, that is the case. That is what we have before us. And honestly, I'm really looking forward to it. It's about a month, well, it's almost two months away. It's near the end of November. It's the day after Thanksgiving. So keep your eye on that. And... We are going to move on to someone who, well, it's been kind of hard to keep an eye on him. Dylan Dennis, ladies and gentlemen, a man that is, uh, in his mind, beloved by many. But in the real world, a lot of people kind of go, who? Yes, that guy. Uh, you may remember he was signed to Bellator. Yes, he was signed to Bellator and made his MMA debut back in 2018, had a follow-up fight in 2019. Hasn't fought since. 
Now, he did go 2-0, which is understandable and expected for a guy who comes in with his pedigree. Uh, he had a fight that was scheduled for January of 2020, but something must have happened. Let me look outside my window. What happened in 2020? Hmm. That fight never came to fruition. But he hasn't had any fights scheduled since. Nothing has happened in terms of his professional fighting career since then. And that's just that. I mean, that's pretty much it. Other than the uh, ugly incident with the bouncer where he got pinned down and, uh, yeah, he didn't really look like the world champion grappler that he probably could have been. And let's just give him the grace, okay, the caveat that he was out there. Well, I mean, was the guy a cop? Did he know he was a cop? Like, what? I don't know. It doesn't matter. That The point is, what's been going on with Dylan Dennis? Is he going to fight again? Is he still capable of you know going in there and competing in the uh in the cage and is it something that he has a desire to do well someone who was asked about that recently was head honcho for bellator scott coker and also someone you may remember as the former star of the seminal classic surf ninjas with tone loke uh he was asked about this at the post-fight press conference after the dublin event this past weekend he had this to say quote dylan is a kid we had a lot of high hopes for He's super talented, jiu-jitsu fighter, but he's got to stay active and he's got to want to come back. He calls me, he wants to come back, and then sometimes I don't hear from him for months. If he's really that serious about coming back, we'll definitely have a spot for him and we'll definitely make an opportunity for him. That sounds like pretty much the most peak Scott Coker you can imagine. Diplomatic, doesn't bury the guy, lays it out there, but he also does give you a little bit of frankness there. I mean, okay, it is a bit of a problem to say that the guy doesn't get back to you for months. Well, maybe you should be checking in with him. I'm not sure how that dynamic works. Maybe Coker didn't mean for it to come out that way, but it does seem a little odd. Regardless, the guy's been away for a long time, dude. I mean, what do we need to do? What do we need to see for this to even be a thing? Because, again, his last fight was in June of 2019. So it's been three years, man. Three years. What do you do in that time? I mean, has he been training with McGregor since? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. Not the way McGregor's been fighting. Does he seem like he wants to come back? Ah, he's been making some noise here and there. But the biggest problem I've had, and I've said this many times, I've said this on this podcast quite a few times, is that he gets on social media and he calls out literally anyone that is not fighting under the Bellator banner. That's not really a way to make your name known, son. That's not really a way for you to get any sort of traction going if you're not actually getting in there and showing people why they should be excited to have a fight with you or why the audience should be excited to see a fight with you and someone else. Last thing I heard from him was calling out Andrew Tate, disgraced YouTuber and social media personality and possibly, allegedly, allegedly human sex trafficker, allegedly. Uh, I don't know, man. That doesn't really inspire too much excitement i don't really think that that's something people care to see especially since andrew tate's kickboxing career wasn't all that and he hasn't fought in a couple years and he's never really trained for mma what is this what are we really looking at here it's like he wants the attention but he doesn't want to actually do the work which is a bit baffling when you look at everything that it takes to be not just a jiu-jitsu black belt but a high-level competitor as he was and yes he doesn't have the pedigree of someone like the ryan brothers or you know uh, cyborg or any of these other dudes but he's his name was ringing for a minute and he comes from a prestigious academy under the tutelage of marcelo garcia all of that for good reason so all of that adds to the potential that this kid could have and yet here we are with this a guy wearing a bunch of expensive but hideous suits making a bunch of pointless call outs into the void offering to pay people to uh, follow him or boost you know doing those weird sweepstakes like oh i'll pick someone out of the next hundred followers to pay them five hundred dollars why are you doing that? Is Twitter going to pay you on the back end to compensate for that? What is the point of all of this? Do you have any hope, Steffi, that Dylan Dennis comes back? And if he does, when he does, is anyone going to really care? I can confidently say there is no one hoping to see Dylan Dennis fight. He has built his career off of Conor McGregor's coattails. He would have just been another black belt in a sea of other talented black belts. He got graced with the presence of someone who shot to the absolute top and managed to stay up there based on running his mouth and being a personality that is bigger than life. 
in regards to the way that a UFC fighter's uh, career life, and I'm using that in quotes as well, goes. Nobody's made it as big as Conor McGregor, and Dylan Dennis just happened to have the good fortune of training with him at the right time when Conor was shooting to the top. But he has no real credentials in MMA to speak of. And having this attitude of I can do what I want and still be popular. Well, there's a reason why. It's because accounts like DraftKings and ESPN and big outlets are for some reason feeding into this. And it's ridiculous and it bothers the shit out of me. We should not be giving this kid so much attention based off of his association with Conor McGregor years ago when he was on his meteoric rise. But other than that, there's nothing to even speak of about Dylan Dennis that separates him from anybody else. I wish he would just vanish back into the ooze, the primordial ooze from whence he came. It doesn't seem like any of this helps anyone other than maybe some of the, um, some of the sites that rely on clicks to get ahead. I mean, there really isn't any other benefit to this. What, why should I worry? Why should I add to the chatter if I'm a casual fan for a guy who just doesn't even, I mean, three years, man. Three years. It's not even like he's been injured the whole time. Sure, we had the pandemic. Yes, I believe he was injured at one point during the interregnum, but still three years, man. Then even Coker's saying it, that the, he had been calling him for fights and trying to set something up. So that means that it, it, during those points where he wasn't injured, where he was available, nothing happened. So what does that mean? Why? Why does this have to continue to be a thing? Let me tell you something. It doesn't have to be. And we are giving this a bit of attention because of the strange nature of this whole situation. And the fact that Scott Coker, who usually, I mean, when's the last time Scott Coker talked about Dennis? It's weird that someone even asked him. Maybe it was the fact that they were in Ireland. And again, the McGregor connection is what led to that. But other than that, I mean, what 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 is any of this really? It doesn't even make sense for him to come back. I don't mean to be so harsh on the guy. Like when I say, like, will anyone care? Like I really do mean it because what like the same question I asked about Colby Covington, had it not been for his political situation or his 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 his. Uh, his declarations and his brash persona, would anyone really care? Would anyone really have that dedication to, you know, talk about him and be angry and all this other shit? No, I don't think that happens. The same thing with Dennis. Had it not been for McGregor, now that he's not really in that orbit as closely as he once was, as you, as you very well pointed out, is anyone really interested? I don't know, dude. Don't seem like it. I don't think so. Now, I'm going to tell you what I'm interested in right now, and that is this possible legal battle between Eddie Hearn and Jake Paul. And it's sort of flying under the radar in our circles, but in boxing circles, it's kind of a big deal. Now, in April, Amanda Serrano tasted defeat for the very first time at the hands of Katie Taylor via split decision. Jake Paul is her promoter. It left a bad taste in his mouth, gave him the wrong impression because of the judging. And now I'm going to quote from what he said at the time. I still think Amanda Serrano won the fight. Then you see this judge, Glenn Feldman, who had the biggest gap between Taylor and Serrano. Everyone pretty much had it a draw, a draw or that Amanda won. But this judge, Glenn Feldman, scored at such a big gap for Taylor, gave rounds that Amanda clearly won to her. Then this judge, Glenn Feldman, shows up in Saudi and scores Anthony Joshua a win over Oleksandr Usyk. Everyone who watched the fight knows it's not a split decision. Usyk had a runaway victory, clearly won the fight. This judge, Glenn Feldman, gives it to Anthony Joshua it's like a repeated crime here. This type of shit, and I'm going to call it out here in boxing because it's bullshit. Clearly, this guy is getting paid money by matchroom boxing. Oh. Yeah. Now, that is not something that you want to say. And 
you don't want to double down on it. And guess what? <laughs> Jake Paul is the kind of guy that doubles down on things. So I'm going to go a little further now because Eddie Hearn caught wind of this. And at first he, you know, he puffed his chest out and he quipped that he was going to quote, chin him or sue him. TMZ was the first one to report the news that Hearn had filed a $100 million defamation lawsuit against the problem child for these allegations. And then Hearn's lawyer, Frank Salzano, also released this public statement. Both legally and ethically, there is a clear line separating opinion from defamatory lies. Jake Paul knows that, and he purposely crossed the line when he wrongly accused Matchroom Boxing and Eddie Hearn of fixing fights. Nonetheless, he was still given an opportunity to retract his defamatory statements, and he refused to. Now he will face the legal consequences of his actions as Matchroom and Mr. Hearn will be seeking damages in well excess of $100 million given the value and goodwill attached to the matchroom business and the harmful nature of Mr. Paul's comments. Now, Hearn also discussed the issue this past week, saying that Paul and his unacceptable allegations will be dealt with. And I quote, We take our values as a business and a family very, very seriously. We love the sport of boxing. For him to come out with idiotic comments without even thinking about what he said is extremely harmful for me and us as a business and very disrespectful to us as a business and a family. Paul doesn't even understand when he says, why are Matchroom still choosing that judge? Matchroom doesn't choose the judge, you idiot. The commission does. I don't even think he knows the rules or structure or how it works. Sometimes all this Jake Paul stuff is a laugh and it's funny and it's good for business. This is not and it will be dealt with. Now, Paul also has another tough battle ahead of him because we have to remember He's going into his fight against Anderson Silva, and that is not going to be a walk in the park. And that is just right on the horizon on October 29th. So when you factor in this very, very big deal, $100 million, and Eddie Hearn can afford an entire legal team, this could be a make or break situation for Jake Paul, and he needs to really learn to shut the fuck up. Victor. There's only one thing that Eddie Hearn said that I don't agree with, and that is that he thinks that Jake doesn't know about how that stuff works. I think he does know. The problem is that he's so much of a galactic level asshole that he feels he needs to be inflammatory with every single thing he says. I don't buy that he didn't know that Matchroom doesn't choose the judges. He had to have known. As dumb as he is, he's smart enough to know that. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm not, maybe that's just me. I don't know. It could be just a difference of opinion. Maybe Hearn's right. Maybe, maybe he doesn't know. But what stands here is that you don't just run your mouth and, and get someone into the kind of trouble that this could potentially get them by saying, oh, these guys are fixing fights, which is, you know, basically what he's trying to say here. And it's tantamount to accusing them of essential fraud in fights and saying that there's, there's a deliberate effort to have a particular judge on payroll and to you know influence the outcome of fights for whatever desired outcome they're they're looking for that's that right there you can't do things like that and jake knows that you can't do stuff like that but he's going to go ahead and do it anyway because well it's worked so far why not right i mean he's suffered no consequence excuse me no consequences for any of his um misbehavior why should anyone start with that now well here we go. Now, this is how you discipline a guy like that. You got to hit him in his pockets. And what gets me is I'm no legal expert. I'm no scholar. But it seems like Matchroom's got a case, man, because the reality of that is Eddie was right. He doesn't choose those. Matchroom doesn't choose the judges. The commissions do. You got a problem with that? Take it up with the commission. We've been griping in MMA about incompetent judging for years. I know my brethren on the boxing side have been making the same case as well. Whether or not it's as bad as it is in MMA, well, we can argue about that at some other point. But 
point is it's a problem that exists and it's outside of the hands of the promoter in that case is there corruption yes is there have we seen cases of people being influenced in in terms of uh you know maybe a little bit of money on the side or some favors here or there you know you score a fight this way sure but you have to prove that you have to be you have to have a pretty tight case and some witnesses and some corroborating evidence to make that that sort of accusation and walk away unscathed. It doesn't work this way. This right here, everything that's going on with 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 the Paul brothers, man, it's like you can't. You just can't. And I'm afraid they're probably going to find out the hard way. And good. I mean, it's about time somebody put him in his place somehow with something because you can't just this kind of shit right here, man. It's bad for business. And if you're looking to do business with someone like that, if, for example, Paul says he wants to fight someone that's under the purview of Matchroom, well, how's that going to happen? How are you going to go into a business relationship with somebody like that? You're shooting yourself in the foot on that one. It's kind of a, it's a little weird and, and a little bit of a, um, uh, it's a bit of a rare mistake for someone who is as good at calculating his odds for what could happen in the future in terms of business relationships like Jake Paul. But that's what we get. Well, there's a couple of things. The most important is that Eddie Hearn manages Katie Taylor. So any hope of a rematch between Amanda Serrano, who Jake Paul manages, and Katie Taylor, which would be the biggest boxing match in women's history, this would be the second time they would achieve that. Well, that is on precarious footing now because of this legal thing. Now, the second thing, and probably the most important fact in this possible lawsuit, is that Matchroom reached out to Jake Paul and gave him the opportunity to retract the statement. They specifically mentioned that. The lawyer mm -hmm. specifically mentioned that they gave him the opportunity, our generosity, we gave him the opportunity to retract the statement, and he refused. Mm -hmm. That's important because a judge will look at that, and, I mean, this thing might get a really quick ruling. Mm. Yeah, very well might. That's that's uh, they, they might end up settling out of court or something like that. But uh, that, that 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 Jake is probably going to have to go and you know read a statement through gritted teeth, <laughs> stating know. that yeah, I didn't really mean it or whatever. You know, I probably I spoke in the heat of the moment. We're probably going to be seeing one of those, and and they're pathetic, but sometimes it can be fun to see. I probably should explain to you why I have your topic following this one. And it's because Jake Paul likes to pull women's talent. Can you imagine the person that you're going to talk about next, possibly facing off against a, an up and coming boxer? I, I'm not entirely sure, but let's just rip the bandaid off yeah. of this thing right away. Let's, uh, let's have Vanna White, uh, pull the, the <laughs> tablecloth off of the table with the prize on it. Uh, we're actually going to be addressing Aspen Ladd, whom you may have heard last week was unfortunately released from the UFC contract that she was under after missing weight yet again in an unfortunate set of circumstances that led to the cancellation of her fight. So she was asked by, or rather, she wasn't asked. I'm sorry. Dana White was asked about this matter and what, um, you know, what really could be in store for Lad in the future. And he had this to say, I don't know. I do know, but we should probably talk about that at the appropriate time. And this is, of course, when, you know, prior to her being released. And then finally, he ended up saying uh, something here about, um, what ended up, uh, what the case was with it. And basically, you know, look, you you miss weight as many times as she did, and you can't stick around. Not only is it unprofessional, it ends up costing the UFC, it ends up costing the opponent, because now you don't even have the opportunity to win a fight and get the win bonus, right? You got to fight first to get it. And that wasn't happening. And then you've got all the other expenditures. So from that point of view, it's not good. But also from a, from a standpoint of like, you can't trust somebody to be in a division when they cannot make weight in that division. Maybe there would have been an option at some point for Aspen to move up to 145. I don't know if that was ever on the table. Certainly didn't seem like something she was trying to do, especially as she kept having these dogged attempts to trying to make 135 and it didn't happen. It is a bit of an interesting run that she had because her career so far, well, she was undefeated in Invicta and she had a very, very bright future ahead of her at that point. Um, she basically came in and started racking up finishes immediately as a professional. And uh, after she ended up at 7-0, and 
I'm sorry, her last win in Invicta against Ajara Eubanks, and she won that one by decision. Her first time going to the judges, she makes it to the UFC. She plows through Lena Landsberg, Tanya Evinger, and then wins a rematch against Ajara Eubanks by decision again. And everything fell apart in 2019 when she lost to Jermaine Durandami, rebounded with a win over Yana Kunitskaya, then lost two straight to Norma Dumont, Norma Dumont and Raquel Pennington. Given the fact that we did have the pandemic in 2020 and there was a lot of shuffling going around, she had four fights canceled between 2020 and 2021, a canceled fight against Aldana earlier this year, and then two canceled fights back-to-back against Sarah McMahon. You know, man, look, if you're not reliable, you probably shouldn't stick around. If you're not going to move up, then that also adds another element of complication to this situation. What happens with Aspen Ladd now? Does she go to PFL and move up to 155 to have a shot of something there? Does she return to her old stomping grounds in Invicta? Or should she perhaps pursue another avenue, which would be going to Bellator? I'm sure that she could probably find some sort of uh, spot at 145 and would probably, with her skill, be a nice and welcome addition to that or to not just that organization, but to that division there. But what if she decides to go boxing? I mean, I don't know. It seems that she started her MMA path through grappling, but ended up picking up striking afterwards. And she does have power in her hands, but whether or not that translates to good boxing purely and exclusively in the arena of boxing, that's another question that I'm not really too sure about as far as what the answer is. What are we to make of this release? Is it happening at the right time or should it happen? Should it have happened sooner? What do you think is next for her? I think it's um, happening at the right time, perhaps the, a, a smidge too late, but we're always all about giving people second chances. Well, she got a second and a third and, you know, this, this is this is the breaking point. This is the straw that broke the camel's back. Now, obviously, when I mentioned that she could be po- a possibility if Jake Paul ever decided to make another women's fight, if he wanted to go a little further back in the uh, in the pecking order and possibly showcase some up-and-comers. And since he likes to crisscross MMA and boxing, and let's not forget, Amanda Serrano is still undefeated in MMA, so she's actually a crossover herself, and that was kind of the parallel I was trying to draw there but it's not anything I was serious about in that regard however there has been quite a bit of buzz around bare knuckle there's also Mm -hmm. Ryzen there's one there's a lot of options for her but I really think your first one is the perfect suggestion and it is where I would imagine she would go it's the first thing that pops into my head but I just wanted to put all of the options on the table but it is the smart thing and that's Mm -hmm. to go to PFL and hopefully she can get that opportunity opportunity because she can probably thrive there and then we finally might get to see a little competition for Kayla Harrison. Well yeah and just a couple of things on that here. I finally found the quote that I'd been looking for here and I and I fumbled. Uh Dana White said this, quote, "We tried to work with her. She's a great kid. She's a really nice person. It's never fun when you have someone who's actually talented. She's a talented fighter, but part of the job is making weight." She's not made weight so many times. It had to happen. Not something you want to do, but something that had to be done. So she's still nine and three as a professional. One and Ryzen aren't just picking up, you know, they're not picking up just any American fighter here and there. They're looking more for American fighters that would maybe fit their mold. And I don't know if she would actually be the kind of person that they would pursue. But, however, maybe she could go out, win a couple of fights, and if she can keep her weight in check, come back to the UFC. But, Probably the smart money might have to be blowing up like some of these other competitors at PFL that started at 135. Go up to 155. Do what you can and maybe, maybe, maybe try to see if you can uh, claw the the title away from Kayla Harrison, which, I mean, good luck with that. Um, But, I mean, look, it's not impossible for her to come back in some way, in some capacity. It's just going to take a lot of work. Indeed. We're going to talk real quick about Bo Nickel because he's all the rage right now and and with good reason. I mean, boy, did he run right through Donovan Beer. 52 seconds and it was smooth and it was vicious and it was efficient. My 
goodness he wasted no time barely took a deep breath and i believe you had mentioned him a few shows back or maybe a few months back it might have even been before mookie left but boy were you onto something with this one I, I have a few thoughts here with this and, you know, good for him in the manner in which he's acquitted himself. He's shown in two performances in a single year, barely breaking a sweat, doing an amazing job at putting people away. Whether or not this means he's ready for the UFC, it depends really. I mean, I've seen some chatter. I've seen some people talking about, well, you know, is he really ready? He looked good against these guys, but they're not in the UFC proper. They're more, you know, regional talents and all that like him, which... Okay, I get it, but you also have to consider that this kid, he just started his MMA career, and maybe signing him at 1-0 would not have been the worst thing. I don't see really why they needed to do this other than throw ESPN a bone and offer them another set of, uh, you know, just, just to have more eyeballs on the product. And uh, this dude that he fought was actually pretty strong and, and uh, um, pretty crafty, but stylistically, we kind of should have expected that to be the case. Good for Bo Nickel. He's made his case. He's calling everybody out. He's hungry. He wants everything that that can come his way. Um, I don't like that American Khabib nickname. I don't like it when guys this talented get tilted as, you know, the next whatever, when they can just be the first them. But uh, aside from that, he's already apparently got a fight that he's agreed to against Jamie Pickett. Uh, that's going to be coming up soon. And uh, I mean, look, if he can fit another fight or two by the end of the year, if he makes short work of Pickett, number one, super impressive because Pickett is hella tough. But number two, I mean, this dude is is working on a hell of a schedule. I just worry that he's going to be getting the kind of frequent fights that don't allow for the growth and maturity that you kind of need in a younger prospect. But, uh, you know, I, I was mentioning this to someone the other day. I can't remember who online was like. Someone compared him to Aaron Pico, and I felt like this is kind of what Aaron Pico, the expectations that people had of Aaron Pico, right? A guy who had power in his hands and a really cool set of people around him, but didn't really have much structure in his training, you know, considering that he was like, well, he's a 10th Planet guy, but he was with AKA, then now he's going here, now he's with Jackson's. It seemed kind of like a mess, and you kind of got the impression that you're not really sure what the training scenario that would be optimal for him would be, but it's probably not that. It seems like Nichols got good people around him. It seems like his game is well put enough together to not have some of the pitfalls here as long as they don't rush him ahead. So good for him, and, uh, you know, I think we are really seeing history right now. So good. I'm happy for them. I think uh, a big difference here is there's a little bit more room for upward movement mm -hmm. at middleweight than in the lighter weights where uh, Aaron Pico is competing. Yeah. So I, I think that middleweight's a good division for a guy like this to come in because the competition isn't quite as tough until you get into that top five, six, seven guys. But Middleweight, admittedly, the lower end of the rankings can be navigated by a guy like Bo Nickel pretty easily, mm, I think. Yeah. I, I just wish they did what they were doing at first with Sage Northcutt. Have him be the guy who takes out the trash, okay? And I don't mean that like, okay, maybe that's a little harsh. But what I mean is if you have a guy who's at risk of getting cut, feed him to him. You know, you got a guy yeah. who's, you know, who's got, who's lost three straight, give him the Bo Nickel. You know what I'm saying? He's got the experience edge and, and he's going in there against a young whippersnapper. Here, go ahead. Just put him in the wood chipper. Just have him clear out the lower end of the division for guys that you owe fights and probably don't want to have around anyway. I mean, just that's probably one way to at least for two or three fights have some form of ring time that he can use to his advantage and, and develop the kind of patience and, and test himself a little that way. I, I think that's probably something that would be to their benefit. But who knows, man? Pickett's not a slouch. I mean, they're not throwing him at the bottom of the division right away. Pickett is is a tough dude. So this is um this is probably a better test than some people might realize at first glance. Now, before we move on to our preview, I, I do got to ask you one more question here on Bo Nickel, because again, this is kind of a big deal. I, I'm pretty excited about this guy because, wow, it's it's looking like he's got the whole complete MMA game. I'm hoping that what we're seeing continues on. But a lot of people out there are immediately putting a, a particular match choice out there, and that is Bo Nickel versus Hamzat Chimaev. Do we mm. want to see that right off the bat, or do we want to give him an opportunity to show us some stuff? Now, I know Hamza doesn't have a ton of fights in middleweight, but still, he's got enough, and he's got enough of um, 
uh, a proof in the pudding record, so to speak, that we can confidently say that maybe this might be a little soon to be hoping for that particular matchup. Victor, what do you think before we move on? Well, it's probably going to be somewhere in the distant future because right now Hamzad has made more inroads at welterweight. He seems to be the uh, the the challenger and waiting for the title there. So it wouldn't make much sense for him to go up just to fight this guy who, you know, like a win there wouldn't need probably wouldn't net him uh, that many brownie points. I don't know that that would be as beneficial for either guy, at least not right now. But if in the future Hamzat decides, hey, man, you know what? I'm, I'm in my big boy daddy uh, uh, body now. I, I can't really make that kind of weight consistently anymore which you could probably argue won't be too far from now, then I can see that happening not too far. But I just, again, this, this, uh, it, it just seems like that this, this sort of talk is, is very premature. I respect the moxie and the balls of going through with it the way Bo has, but well, let's pump the brakes here, shall we? Well, I think they're, they're actually trying to put that fight together because Dana went on record just last week saying that he could, he could definitely see and they're looking possibly at Hamzat fighting in both divisions. That's Mm. where I think that is the root of everybody immediately starting their aim on that particular fight. Yeah, that always goes great. Sure. Let's do that. So we're going to go ahead and get started with our UFC Vegas 61 and Bellator 286 select fight preview. But first, let's let's do our weekly picks recap. And once again, Mookie and Victor have come in ahead of me. Man, I'm just doing so bad. But we picked Bellator 285. And that was Benson Henderson, Peter Queeley. Uh, fight card if you remember that happened in Ireland and I very stupidly picked Peter Queeley that was the only pick difference we all picked Yoel Romero and Leah McCourt and Mads Burnell but we all shot ourselves in the foot with Mads Burnell because apparently he forgot what a jab is and so as a result Victor and Mookie went three and one in their picks. I went two and two in mine. The updated standings. Mookie is still in the lead. 107, 65, and three. I am still in second place at 103, 69, and three. Nice. Victor is catching right up with 96. 76 and 3. We have UFC Vegas 61 and Bellator 286 both happening Saturday night. And Bellator is wise cracking on social media, particularly on Twitter, talking about got nowhere to go suddenly because you can't get in the Apex Center. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. we have something going on over here, and guess what, media? Come on. We've got fights over here, so get your seat. We're going to start with UFC Vegas 61, and we have a really good fight on deck. It is the featured prelim, and that is the god, Ilir Latifi, taking on Submission King, Alexi Olianik. This is at heavy weight. We already know who Mookie is taking. <laughs> Victor, who are you taking? Oh man, you know, I'm 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 gonna go with the guy who's who's always fighting for peace and justice and unity. U N I T Y. You know, I'm gonna go with Latifi on this. <laughs> Olenek could definitely uh, put him in a titty twister, a triple decker a submission or whatnot. But I, I, no, sir, I, I can't. How are you going to bet against a guy who's at least three quarters equine? No, sir. <laughs> All right. Next up at lightweight, Vyacheslav Borshev taking on Mighty Mike Davis. Mookie is taking Mike Davis. Victor, mm. how are you going? You know, man, like I, it's a good fight, but I'm just like not really. Th- I don't know something about it. Like I'm not. I'm gonna watch it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not super thrilled. Like, oh, this could. Like, maybe it's the fact that it's not 
as divisionally like the, the implications Important. aren't that big for a winner. Right. I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. It's got me kind of like, eh, I guess. But I, unless either one of these guys ends up with a, a, a tremendous finish, I'm going to I'm going to go with the contrarian route. I'm, I'm going to go with Borshev. So next up, we have Honey Barcelos taking on Trevin Jones. <sighs> now, Mookie is going with Honey Barcelos. How are you? Yeah, I guess I'm gonna go with him too. Uh, Trevin is is a uh, he's a hell of an athlete, strong dude, and and he's really good at like you know controlling dudes in the clinch and pressing them. But uh, he's probably gonna need a little bit more than that in his bag of tricks. <laughs> All right, so I'm also going with Honey Barcelos, and I can't remember if I actually said who I picked in the Mike Davis fight. I am taking Davis. We're getting a little closer to the top now. We have Francisco Trinaldo taking on Randy Brown. It just reminds me of those old tomato sauce commercials. <laughs> Ciao, Francesco Trinaldo. Like, I just, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Contadina, that's the name of the brand. With the, with the, yeah, that's right, baby. Old man hours. What's good? Um, I, yeah, man. Rude boy, another dude who's good and technical and all that, but I can't count Trinaldo out. Listen, I'm, this is not going to be the most scientific of all sets of picks. If you haven't figured it out by now, I'm largely going by vibes because it's just not. I, I it, it, it's such a weird card in some ways, given the fact that these fights don't ultimately have that much in terms of mobility. And that's not to say that they don't matter. It's not to say that they're not important. It's just like they're kind of tough to pick in some ways. But at the same time, like, ah, I, I'm going Chanaldo, whatever. I mean, he's part of the constrictor fight team. Jesus Christ, that just sounds so lethal. Yeah, it does. But I'm going with Randy Brown. Uh, and, nope. and Mookie is as well. I just, I can't. At some point, Trinaldo's going to show us just how old he is, for real. <laughs> mm. no, I mean, I, I don't know that the guy who exposed him is some dude from Long Island, but hey, he is Jamaican, so that offsets it by like 80 points. I mean, he's 44. I, 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 what you trying to say? What you trying to say? What you trying to say? <laughs> but he looks like ageism. He looks a hundred and four. Yeah. He's actually forty four. Fights like he's about thirty four. You know what? If we find out that this is a minute ball situation, he's actually like <laughs> seventy three. Oh man! Oh my god! <laughs> All right. Finally, we get to the main event here. We have Mackenzie Dern taking on. Jonan Yen. I hope I'm saying that in the proper order. That's close enough. I I really want to want to do it properly. So hopefully I did that right. If not, please feel free to correct me. Anyways, uh, Mookie is taking Mackenzie Dern. I'm taking Mackenzie Dern. Victor, I I don't know which way you're going, but uh, you 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 really you really don't know. You really. I'm thinking Mackenzie Dern. I gotta go with Dern, man. I can't. You know, Jan doesn't have the kind of power to put Dern away. I don't think, or really put her in any kind of trouble. When you get that flypaper level grappling, I don't know that. I don't know that Jan is there. I don't know that she's. There's anything she can do in her training that'll prep her in a single fight camp for that to happen. So no, I'm gonna go with Dern. You know, we do have Bellator 286 coming up. That main event is a good one. And it's Adam Borich taking on Patricio Pitbull. Featherweight belt on the line. I really like this. At one time, Adam Adam Borich was my dark horse pick to take over that division. But Patricio Pitbull is still prime, top of the heap excellent fighter he's one of the very few that i feel you could bring him over into the ufc and immediately give him a title shot and i wouldn't blink he is creme de la creme just like the champs over in the ufc i think that he could absolutely give uh alexander volkanovsky the fight of his life yeah, I, I look, I've picked against Adam and been wrong many times. Um, I'm not going to be wrong on this one. Pitbull is just a cut above, man. There's just something about a dude that is elite and he's still still at that point. He he, he doesn't seem like he's slowing down that much. He's still got it, man. And, and this dude is I think we're going to get a hell of a fight. Can we just mention for a moment? 
what a travesty it is that people aren't really talking about this. The Bellator doesn't really make as much fanfare as they should have. But this is a banger fucking card. I mean, like, there's just sprinkled throughout. Sumiko Inaba is coming back. Lance Gibson Jr. is coming back. J.J. Wilson. Uh, Murtazalia versus Bestive is a banger at middleweight. And, and, you know, middleweight outside of the UFC, not great. Max Rubsko, remember him? He's coming back after his hiatus. He, Islam Mamedov is fighting Nick Brown. Barzola versus Archuleta. Pico versus Jeremy Kennedy. Come on, son. This is a great... And, of course, AJ McKee in the co-main. Hell of a card, folks, this Saturday. Really, really, really big. So um, make some time out of your schedule. There's no way that this one's going to suck. Uh, that being said, yeah. Did I say Pitbull? Yeah, I'm going with Pitbull. We're all going with Pitbull. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. As we should. Indeed. So that's going to wrap up our picks preview, and it's going to wrap up the show. So on that note, do me a favor. Follow Victor on Twitter at Vic M. Rodriguez and on the mighty Instagram where you can salivate over his pictures like we all do. And he is Victor Sinister Rodriguez over there. And follow Mookie on Twitter at Mookie Alexander. And follow his work over at SB Nation's Field Goals website, where he does the finest NFL coverage. Uh, Victor and I also work for Bloody Elbow, so check us out there. You can follow the show on Twitter at Level Change Pod. And we are also available on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash level change podcast. And um, listen to the pre-recorded outro where Mookie will tell you where you can find this show and all the other great bloody elbow shows. So until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivisection, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>